Nobody chooses to become addicted, not to drugs, not to gambling, alcohol, cigarettes. Substance use comes about as a result of a myriad of factors, but the treatment of substance use disorders can be done effectively only in one place, and that is within the healthcare system. I'm Eric Bowman, I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. CPA recently released a position paper entitled The Decriminalization of Illegal Substances in Canada, where we call for an end to criminal penalties associated with simple possession of illegal substances in Canada's Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. The paper makes seven recommendations for governments and other stakeholders, among them that the determination of what quantity is considered a personal use quantity should be made in consultation with many people, especially those with lived and living experience using substances. Joining me today is one of the lead authors of that paper. My name is Dr. Andrew Kim. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Calgary, and I'm also the chair of CPA's Addiction Psychology section. And as the chair of the section, you guys have come up with this new outline, uh, recommendations for decriminalization of what have up until now been illegal substances. And I'm hoping we can just start with a definition of decriminalization. How is that different than legalization? And is that distinction an important one? Yeah, I think it's definitely an important one. Um, So decriminalization is essentially removing any penal uh, penalties associated with the possession of what are currently classified as illegal substances from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. In contrast, legalization is what happened with the cannabis, right? It became legalized, which then became publicly available in many stores all across Canada, where it's become available to the public. And so it can be sold legally, similar to how alcohol is a legalized substance. So decriminalization is not arguing for making currently illegal substances legal. It's just removing the the federal penalties that are associated with simple possession. And the notion behind that, I mean, I think some of the uh, most obvious things are then you don't have to go through the legal system if you're caught possessing a small amount of uh, drugs of one kind or another, uh, or a large amount. I mean, is there a certain amount at which point you say, okay, that's a little too much, or are we uh, staying, you know, just possessing drugs in general uh, should not be a criminal offense? So that is probably one of the biggest issues that I think decriminalization, like the whole concept of decriminalization currently faces, right? What is deemed a a personal amount? So essentially what happened in British Columbia and BC, they came up with 2.5 grams of certain illegal substances for personal use as what they deem personal amounts. Right. Right. Uh, so people with lived experiences weren't too happy with that. You know, also the um, federal police, the uh, local provincial police weren't really happy with that either. So it's it's a thorny issue. What What is a small amount, right? How can you draw that boundary between this amount is deemed, uh, you know, essentially amount that you'd want to, that's deemed that you're trying to traffic in a sense, 
And this amount is what's deemed for personal use or simple possession. And I think to come up to that agreement, I think all the stakeholders, so people with lived experiences, um, healthcare professionals, uh, police, I think we all need to come to the table and have a discussion of, okay, so what, what is a certain amount? The way that I'm thinking about that is that a certain amount, uh, you, right, you've decided that this amount is the amount at which point we think you're trafficking in this sub- substance, and we think that should remain illegal and there should still be criminal penalties associated with that. But anyone who is possessing a small amount must then have obtained it by illegal means in a way, right? It must have obtained it from someone who is trafficking it, right? That seems like a a strange, again, something that really needs to be talked out uh, at that level. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Is this a step toward legalization or is this uh, somewhere where we think this decriminalization is enough to create the health outcomes that we want? Yeah, so it is... It is sort of a a complex issue, right? Because decriminalization is not saying the production and sale of drugs, they'll remain prohibited and persecutable by law, right? It's really, we're talking about amounts of simple possession personal for personal use. And this really comes down to that war on drugs is really not working. It's actually causing more harms than it is having public health benefits, treating people who use substances and drugs as criminals is really harmful. And so decriminalization is trying to move away from that. It's saying, you know, people who use substances, they're not criminals, right? We all use substances or most of us use substances, alcohol, cannabis, caffeine is a psychoactive substance. I'm drinking coffee right now as we speak. Right. So what is deemed a legal and illegal substances is it's a societal issue. Right. And it changes over time. Think about alcohol. Alcohol was illegal during the prohibition era, became legal again. Cannabis was illegal, but now it's illegal. So it is a social issue. It's not really one of criminal for if we're talking about for personal use. Right. And I think that's so, ongoing now, too. Right. Uh, fentanyl is prescribed and it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a drug that is used in a lot of medicine and yet is also being used illegally in a lot of ways. And that becomes thorny as well. Right. Yeah. And so it is a complex issue and decriminalization. You know, part of it is that, OK, so if you are in possession of an illegal substance currently as defined um, by the criminal code, then you must have gotten from somewhere. Right. Right. So, you know, it's not, we're not saying that we should legalize production and sale currently of current illegal substances, right? Right. Um, it's just a simple possession. People who are using for, honestly, for various reasons, that should not be criminalized because then that leads to a criminal record, which then spirals down and it, it's associated with a whole bunch of other social economic costs to the individual. Can you give me an example of some of those costs to the individual that would not exist were this to be decriminalized? One, uh, seeking help, right? Right. If you're treated like a criminal, how likely are you motivated to seek professional help if you're wanting to reduce or cut down on your current use? Right. It deters, it deters people going to the public health system. It deters people from perhaps helping others who are in, who are uh, overdosing, especially if you are carrying small amounts, because you might think, okay, I might actually be charged for this. 
think about how hard it is to find employment if you have a criminal record. How right. hard would it be to uh, obtain housing, apply for a lease if you have a criminal record? Right. Yeah. And what's the stress and toll that's going to have on individuals? Right. We yeah. know that we know that uh, financial insecurity, housing instability, those are really stressful events. Right. They're stressful factors that may lead and continue the cycle of substance use. And so if you are criminalizing people with simple possession who are using substances for, again, various reasons, then what's that spiral effect going to have? It's going to keep maintaining that vicious cycle. And is decriminalization enough to break that vicious cycle or is it intended more to mitigate it? The way I'm thinking about this is, right, what we're saying is we want to treat drug use and use of substances as a health issue rather than as a criminal issue, which makes it much easier for people, like you said, to gain treat to get access to treatment or supports or that sort of thing. Right. But again, we're talking about a substance that remains in one way illegal, but your use of it is not necessarily going to be criminalized. Is that enough to break that cycle? Uh, no, but I think it'll help. It really depends on what you're diverting the resources now to. Right. The, the cost associated with policing uh, possession of substance use is pretty astronomical. Right. right. I think it's I I think it's around the number that I think we found was around eight or nine billion dollars. It's, it's a significant amount of money that is put into the legal costs associated with policing current substance use. Now, what could we do with that? We can reinvest that into the healthcare system to help people who are struggling with an addiction. And so the other part that it really helps is it also helps cut down on drug-related deaths, right? right. Port Portugal actually decriminalized illegal substances, and they reported economic savings and reductions in harms. Drug-related deaths have significantly decreased. Um, rate of new cases of HIV and AIDS also plummeted. And so it's really reduced the strain that it had on both the healthcare and criminal justice systems in Portugal. And I think the societal cost of legal substances in Portugal fell by 12% in just five years following decriminalization and 18% by 2012. So is it going to cure addictions? No, but I think it's a step in the right approach. And I think it, especially if we reinvest that economic savings into healthcare, prevention, education, intervention, I think it could do a lot of benefit for a lot of people. Uh, no doubt that it could. And and Portugal seems to be the one place that people talk about a lot when it mm. comes to decriminalization, because it's been such a decently long time. There's enough data that we can talk about what the, the results in Portugal. Are there any other places around the world that have done this? I, like, I feel Portugal still this island where they're the ones that have done this. I don't know of any other place that has done it, at least on the same scale that, that they have. I think Portugal is probably the best example, and we're not aware of any other jurisdictions that have implemented that in such a large scale, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's probably the model that people cite the most in terms of the potential impacts that it can actually have. In Canada, BC, right? They're piloting right. it. 
Yeah. And it'd be very curious to see what's the impact that's going to have in terms of a cost to the healthcare, savings to the healthcare, criminal justice systems. And also more importantly, what's the benefits that's going to have for individuals who currently use substances? And in a few years, we might have, we'll have some data to see what's the impact that this has actually been within a Canadian context, which I think is really helpful. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it will be. And I'm thinking right now about all the ways that you know, people push back against things that I would consider to be harm reduction things, safe mm-hmm. injection sites, uh, safe supply, that sort of thing. And there's been a lot of pushback against those things. And I think it might be easier to implement safe supply, injection sites, that kind of thing that have been shown to have beneficial health outcomes and uh, financial savings to us as taxpayers if we actually decriminalize things. Is that one of the places where you would think that $8 billion a year could go? It definitely could be, right? I think part of it is that criminalizing substance use leads to increased stigma, right? It's associated with stigmatization. And so by decriminalizing substances, over time, it may lessen the burden of stigma with addictions. Addictions, I would argue, is probably one of the most highly stigmatized mental health disorders. People still see it as a matter of lack of free will, right? Yeah. Um, A personal choice rather than a legitimized mental health disorder. And I think part of that is, is the criminalization is how we currently treat addictions, right? If if it's criminalized, we're saying you have done something wrong. Yeah. And so there must be penalties associated with it. So what's the public what's the public perception that's then driving people's the side perception of people who use substances? And, and I think that also then impacts the acceptance of harm reduction initiatives like uh safe injection sites. I was thinking about this earlier today that the way we've talked about drugs over the years, I think influences that to this day too, right? There used to be this real campaign of fear, especially for children, where the notion was that you're going to try cocaine once and instantly become addicted and never, you know, never think about anything else in your life until you end up, you know, broke and in prison and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's led to, I think, a pretty significant misunderstanding about substance use in the general public. Uh, I'm wondering if if we're going to do an education campaign, if we're going to tell people, like, how, how might we approach that differently, presuming that the recommendations are followed and that decriminalization does indeed happen? Substances, like currently legal substances and currently legal substances, aren't 100% harmless. There are harms associated with them, right? But not everyone who uses, who drinks alcohol or who uses cannabis uh, develops an addiction. And so certain substances do have more harmful potential. So caffeine is relatively lower. I mean, it's not in the DSM as a caffeine addiction per se, but it's it's got a lower addiction potential than let's say methamphetamines. So there are certain substances that confer additional risk of harms. And I think it's a matter of education, right? What are the risks? How do you know? What what substances may lead to greater harms or potential for addiction than others? 
So I think it's a matter of public education and treating, again, substance use as a public health concern and not a criminal justice issue. I think those conversations are going to be really helpful. As you were saying, right, certain substances carry with them a greater risk of addiction Mm -hmm. than others, but all of them fall under the same sort of umbrella of, you know, substances that people use in in that way. And I think over the years, we've sort of assumed, I think, at least I have, that the way they determine criminality of those substances, the way that they determine how they're going to regulate them and how they're going to approach them is which ones carry the greatest risk of harm. But that seems pretty all over the place when you look at something like cigarettes, which obviously carry a great risk of addiction and are very demonstrably harmful and yet are not in the illegal category of some of these other substances, right? And I wonder if decriminalizing everything takes that sort of weird hierarchy that doesn't make a lot of sense away. Yeah, it it can. Like This is one example of what I meant when the criminalization of substance use is a societal issue, right? Tobacco confers really significant harms and costs to society. It's still one of the leading causes of death, right? It's been conclusively linked to cancer. Right. Right. And a whole host of health-related costs to the individual and the healthcare system. That's legal. Alcohol also has been shown to be pretty harmful in terms of cost to the individuals and societal costs as well. So why are those substances legal and not others? If we take that even further, gambling is, is now in a period of I would say liberalization and expansion. And gambling has also been shown to lead to significant harms, specifically, and in particular, financial harms to individuals. Yet that is now in a process where we're providing more opportunities to gamble, more online gambling and sports betting. Right. You can't watch any sporting event now without that sporting event being brought to you by a gambling website, without seeing gambling commercials throughout, without the halftime show being brought to you by some gambling organization. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's not just normalized. It's sort of pervasive. Yeah. And, you know, I I do want to keep in mind that, again, certain substances confer harm, more harm than others potentially. Right. And certain ways of using substances say an injection, IV use, confers greater risk than other types. So it's it's providing that education, right? We're not saying substances, everyone should be using substances. No, it's saying people who are using substances are going to use, right? right. They have their own reasons and motivations. And because someone's using substances, and, and sort of my clinical experience, and this is clinical antidote, it's really to mask the pain, right? Coping with trauma, with negative life stressors. And addictions provides, at least in the short term, an escape. That doesn't make an individual criminal if they're using substances to mask the pain. And then over time, it could develop into an addiction where it's now become more compulsive. That, right. again, doesn't make someone a criminal and they, they should not be incarcerated. I think they need help. I think and that we- should be in the healthcare system. And I think the criminal justice system right now is probably one of the largest agencies that treat mental health and addictions because the rates of mental health and addictions in 
criminal justice systems is, is, is really high. Way, yeah, way higher than it is elsewhere, for sure. And obviously part of that is because when we catch somebody with a small amount of substance on them, we do put them through the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. That bloats that system, but it also weights it very heavily. But also the people there are suffering from a lot of trauma and a lot of external factors that presumably, and criminality not necessarily being linked to substance use, but the uh, the situations that create criminality are some of the same ones that create more substance use problems, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can perpetuate it. Yeah. So imagine two individuals currently, one has uh, currently has simple possession again for personal use, and then one is then diverted to the criminal justice system, incarcerated. Another individual is recognizing that addiction is a public health concern. They're diverted to the healthcare system. Who's going to have a better outcome by the end of it? Right. No, for sure. And I think, too, I mean, you were talking a little bit about the stigmatization of substance use earlier and the criminalization, the idea that you know, people do use it as a form of escape to deal with some life stressors, but if it is a criminal act and if it is stigmatized, they're more likely to try to hide that from others, their friends, mm-hmm. their family, and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. which can obviously make it a worse problem when you don't have anyone to talk openly with about it. Yeah. And also sort of that self-stigma, right? Right. I must be a bad person for doing something illegal that society tells me that is wrong. Yeah. Yet I'm having a hard time trying to stop right what's that message that's sending and so we're trying to send this message now we're saying these should be decriminalized and it should not be a criminal offense to use a substance right it should be a health concern that we can deal with in that way what are you hoping comes out of this decriminalization recommendation what what are the specific recommendations and what do you hope those will achieve yeah. So in in the report, we made seven specific recommendations. The first is to remove criminal penalties associated with simple possession of legal substances in the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. We also noted that the amount deemed for personal use is a complex issue, and and that stakeholders, all relevant stakeholders, should be involved in being able to come up with what that amount is. And we recognize it's not enough to just decriminalize substances, but the resources should really then go into education, prevention, and treatment of individuals for who are experiencing an addiction. Right. And what we're really hoping to do is, one, is a help reduce personal costs and societal costs associated with substance use. So HIV, AIDS, overdose, uh, reduction in the criminal and social costs associated with currently policing substances. Get more people who are wanting to seek treatment, the help that they need. If it's not a criminal issue, then hopefully it motivates people and removes that extra barrier to seeking treatment. Right. And ultimately reduces the stigma of addictions, change the conversation in society that addiction is a public health concern. It is not a moral issue. It is not a criminal issue. It's a legitimate mental health disorder, similar to depression, anxiety, PTSD, 
it's it's a mental health disorder and it should be treated as a public health health matter and not a criminal justice issue and hopefully start change that conversation and educate the public for sure and you were saying earlier right this discussion around the amount that's deemed personal use and so on and i'm thinking of a few famous cases willie nelson's tour bus got pulled over and he got busted for having a whole pile of 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 weed on it and keith richards got busted at the canadian border with a huge amount of heroin both said well this is for personal use i do this an awful lot and i mean it's millions of times more than what they're Mm -hmm. currently right but I think that there's something in that the the celebrities who are doing this, one, they get away with it, right? Yep. Nobody's putting them in prison. And two, it does sort of these stories in a way almost glamorize the the lifestyle of it. And I'm I'm trying to put my exact thoughts into words here, right? But we're taking substances that are harmful, alcohol, for example, right? You can go and buy throw pillows that say it's wine o'clock and you can buy coffee mugs, right? That say, I, you know, don't talk to me until I've had my 10 cups of coffee or whatever it is that we sort of, the more those things become familiar, the more that we talk about them in that way. And I'm wondering if that's something that might be a problem worth looking at down the road. Is that, and is that even a problem now? Things of that nature that sort of normalize the excess consumption of things that now are legal. And I think if we decriminalize substances, and you're right, it, that's a really good question. They may switch the conversation because if we're saying these substances are legal, then it's okay to consume them. If these right. substances are illegal, it's not okay to consume them. But if we decriminalize all substances and have education that all substances confer some risks, right? It may help to combat a little bit that societal message that, you know, certain substances, it's okay to do in excess, right? It's it's associated with these positive, glamorous lifestyles. And it might change that conversation to say, you know, these are the substances, here are all the risks, here are the signs. And, and this is what you can do if you need help. Right. Right. And I, yeah, I just think that, yeah, I, I'm trying to think it through in my head, this, the, the, the stigma notion and doing away with the stigma without then normalizing it to such a point that it's just part of, right. I don't imagine mm-hmm. anyone's going to get, you know, a little stuffed animal for their birthday that says, give me Liberty or give me meth or something. Right. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that's ever going to be the, way that we talk about those things but i'm just thinking that having it that normalized and as a discussion we're not really talking about the the ways we can deal with the potential harms that come from it so i'm trying to think of the way that we can message right this legalization or not legalize it rather decriminalization means that you're not a bad person for doing this but we do think that there are ways that you can uh you know help yourself and others in that situation uh presuming that you know yeah yeah and i think that's why it's important that it's not just decriminalization it's coupled with diverting funds or increasing funds to education prevention and intervention so i think both need to be done simultaneously to really i think educate and have the maximal impact that i possibly can 
And I wonder too, if right now we, you know, we've always talked about the war on drugs as this sort of behemoth that came out of the United States and it sort of uh, targeted various groups marginalized Mm -hmm. groups and made them more marginalized. It's happened here in Canada as well, right? More marginalized groups are more targeted by the war on drugs. They're more likely to end up incarcerated. They're more likely to be apprehended with small amounts of of substances for personal use. And I'm wondering if there's a, if you see a path forward to sort of mitigating that and, and changing that narrative as well, as we move toward destigmatizing as best we can uh, substance use. Yeah, so research has has found that decriminalization disproportionately harms individuals of racialized minorities, black communities, indigenous communities, right? They're more likely to be arrested for simple possession than people who are white. Right. And uh you know, there's some examples even within Canada where criminalization of substance use targeted racialized minorities. The Opium Act of 1908, which really targeted Chinese people who used opioids. Okay, I'm, I'm not and familiar so, with that. And so it's, it's this really complex societal issue. And criminalizing, we know that cr- criminalization affects racialized minorities disproportionately. And then I think that may also perpetuate the cycle as well. Again, if you have a criminal record, that impacts the rest of your life, really, right? And that may right. continue to perpetuate substance use. So at least by decriminalizing substance use, we could not completely reverse the harms, but might mitigate some of the structural inequalities and racism associated with criminalization. I guess, too, the right it, it might it might lessen the cyclical nature of of this, right? That generation to generation, it becomes harder and harder to, you know, get out of that situation because your parent has been incarcerated or Mm -hmm. your, right? So presumably that's a a long-term sort of goal and hope for this. Hopefully we'll see an impact within a few years, but it might take two, five, 10 years to really see what the impact of this has been. And you quoted uh, some of the stats from Portugal. How many years did it take before they they were able to share the data and actually determine what the impact was? Yeah, so these stats are, again, just a little bit old, um, but I think they saw like significant decrease in overdose within five to six years. Side of cost of illegal substances falling by 12% in five years. 18 percent by 2012 so within five years we may be able to see okay what's the impact has been maybe even within a year as well and we just have to hope that the program continues for that length of time and that uh, those results become available i think i was reading somewhere too that the actual rate of drug use uh, substance use in portugal fell as well, like fewer people actually use substances as this went on. I don't know if the I don't know if those stats are accurate, but I do think it sort of belies this. Right, the pushback against decriminalization, I would imagine, for the most part, is well, 
if it's legal for me to have it, then I'm more likely to go get it and I'm more likely to try it. And I'm more likely to, uh, you know, end up with a problem at the end of, at the end of the road, which seems sort of silly to me, right? Like the reason (laughs) that I haven't tried heroin isn't because it's illegal, right? It's because that seems dangerous to me and I'd prefer not Mm -hmm. to do that. Right. So it, it strikes me that there really aren't many downsides at all, if any, to decriminalization. Uh, are there any that you have seen, that you've looked at, that you've discussed in this paper? Or uh, really, is it a net benefit in every way to the healthcare system and to individuals? Yeah. So we did a systematic search of the literature to really gather evidence. So our recommendations are based on the synthesis of the evidence that we found in our systematic search. And we really did not find any evidence to suggest that decriminalization may actually increase harms. It's all seemed to indicate that it's a net positive. Now, uh, with Portugal, I did also hear that substance use is uh, significantly fell, but I think the latest evidence suggests that the rates may be relatively similar. Um, What seems to be the consensus is that there wasn't this significant increase in substances as a result of decriminalization. So it may not have significantly fell, right? It may have stayed relatively similar, but the harms and the societal cost was was pretty significant. Reduction in harms and saving societal costs was significant. Right. And that's what this is all about is the reduction in harm, you know, at least in the initial phase, and then hopefully a more longer term change in terms of uh, public health and benefits to individuals and so on. And I'm wondering, we just have a few minutes left here, so I'm going to close with this. What is it that you hope to see done immediately what's the first thing that you hope to see uh, do you want the federal government to decriminalize things do you want individual provinces to start looking at this do you you know what is the first thing that you hope uh happens as a result of these recommendations i think it'd really be the federal government removing um penalties associated with simple possession of legal substances right but i think prior to doing that it, it should be done with best evidence and again, put coming together with all relevant stakeholders to have a discussion on what that looks like. We talk a lot about the opioid crisis here. And I, the last time I spoke with you, I think the, the big message we tried to convey is that nobody chooses to be addicted. It's something that you know happens as a result of a number of external factors and therefore shouldn't be stigmatized. And so maybe just the discussion itself of talking to the federal government of making these recommendations of bringing that out to the public might go a little bit of a distance toward destigmatizing substance use in and of itself. Yep. And I still haven't had a client or patient tell me that they wanted to become addicted. So here they are. Right. And I also haven't heard of any of my colleagues having a similar experience. I've worked for a long time with uh, youth here in Ottawa who find themselves in a homeless situation and I think one of the narratives that really hits home is that so many people think of especially homeless people, the homeless people that they see on the sidewalk, that they see panhandling and that, that they must have tried drugs, become addicted and ended up Mm -hmm. homeless as a result. When in fact, the opposite is more, more often true. 
they use drugs as a way to cope with being exactly. homeless, which really sucks, right? Mm-hmm. And so most of the youth that that we serve here in Ottawa who find themselves homeless end up using drugs to cope. Yep. And right. So it is really not something that you can point to as a character flaw. It's no. it, right. And then and then just to ask yourself, do youth who become homeless for a myriad of complex reasons and then use substances as a way to cope or sometimes even survive, does that make them a criminal? And I think it's fairly clear when you frame it that way that it shouldn't. And, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm still not sure what the argument in favor of criminalization was to begin with. And I'm not quite sure uh, why it's held on as long as it has. But I, I feel like trying to criminalize drug use is similar to trying to criminalize cancer in order to stop it. It's not going to do what you want it to do, right? No. I mean, thankfully, these conversations are happening now. So I think there's more of an appetite to look at decriminalization. And so as to keep that conversation going. You can't destigmatize anything without talking about it. And I hope that this discussion with Dr. Kim is a step in that direction. I hope this conversation has been helpful in reminding folks that people who use substances, whether they be legal or illegal substances, are not bad people and they're not doing anything wrong. Decriminalization would be one step toward ensuring that they have access to the supports and care they need if and when substance use becomes an issue and they want to do something about it. Thanks to you at home for listening, downloading, streaming, and reviewing today's episode. Mindful is written, hosted, and published by me, Eric Bowman. Our producer and editor is Jamie Montgomery. And our theme song is Avenues by David Taylor.